Online, welcome to Catholic View on this Tuesday evening. I'm Sheila Pierce. Thank you so much for joining me. Coming up in today's feature program, we'll be talking about drugs in schools. But first, as usual, we begin with some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. Hi, I'm Archbishop Peter Wells, Apostolic Nuncio. Thank you for listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. And in your headlines this Tuesday evening, we look at Pope Francis' sixth apostolic visit to Latin America. Church leaders say soccer star has work to do as new president of Liberia. And Cardinal says Nigerians have lost confidence in government. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Pirish. Pope Francis arrived in Chile at 12.30 South African time this morning to an exciting welcome from thousands of Chileans who lined the streets of Santiago as he drove from the airport, first by car and then in the Pope Mobile. Nosipo Khadebe has more. The Holy Father was welcomed at the airport in a low-key ceremony by the President of the country, Mitel Batele, and other dignitaries before leaving on a long drive to the Apostolic Nunciature. During the drive, he made an unexpected detour to pray for several minutes at the tomb of Bishop Enrique Alvier Urrutia, a well-known opponent of the Pinochet military regime and was known as the Bishop of the Poor. Resuming his journey, the tireless 81-year-old pontiff stood in the Mobile, waving and blessing the tens of thousands of people chanting his name, singing and waving flags, all the way to the Apostolic Nunciature. To the dismay of the security detail, he then walked among the crowds kissing and blessing the children, the elderly and the sick. In a packed schedule today, the Holy Father will meet with the country's authorities, say a public mass, visit a women's prison and meet with the country's bishops. Meanwhile, the head of the communications department of the National Commission for the Apostolic Visits to Chile and Peru, Father Felipe Herrera, spoke to Vatican News about his hopes and expectations for the Pope's visit. The big surprises are those that we are expecting from, for the uh, next days. What, what is going to say the Pope? You know, but he always has something new, something that you say, oh, I never expected to hear this from the Pope. So, yeah, we are very, we're waiting for that surprises. And really, we need that surprise. Chile is a country that has been suffering the last 10 years, bigger and bigger division among uh, the, the society. Individualism, it's very into the hearts of the people. And that has done that the social cohesion disappears. So what we are expecting from the Pope is a word, a nice word, that can help us to see each other as a brother, as a sister, and to rebuild our society from love. Pope Francis has apologized for the sexual abuse of minors perpetrated by priests. The Pope expressed his sympathies during his address to Chile's government authorities, civil societies, and the diplomatic corps at the La Moneda Palace during his apostolic visit to the country. The Holy Father also spoke about the need to protect the environment and the importance of Chile listening to its indigenous people. The Pope said life is a vocation to which all are summoned. He called for a radical option for life, especially in all those forms in which it is threatened. 
Concluding his address, Pope Francis offered up prayer to Our Lady of Mont Carmel, patron saint of Chile, and imparted his apostolic blessing on the nation. Back home, another young priest has died. Father Lerato Moquena of the Bethlehem Diocese was involved in a collision with a bus yesterday. Nusipo Hadebe reports. Yet another young priest has died. Father Lerato Moquena of the Bethlehem Diocese was involved in a collision with a bus in Kwakwa yesterday. The cause of the accident is not yet known. He was ordained in Putarijaba in 2016 and served as a priest for 17 months. His memorial will be held at St. Martin de Porres in Putarijaba on Friday, January the 19th at 4.30 p.m. in the afternoon. His requiem mass will begin at 10 in the morning on Monday, the 22nd of January, in the John Paul II Center in Bethlehem. Bishop Jan de Groef remembers Father Lerato. I know when I visit him uh, several times, of course, when I was still at the seminary at St. John Vianney, and uh, surely was a very gifted person, also a person which uh, really taking things to heart, you see, also uh, visiting people and being with them, eh? Uh, he was very gifted also in music, so a very talented person. Um, also in his relationship with the youth, he was uh, very good. Liberia's Catholic Bishops' Conference Secretary-General told Crux News that George Weir has work to do as the new president. Father Dennis Nimene said Weir's victory is a sign the country is yearning for change after years of conflict and an Ebola outbreak that killed thousands of people and worsened economic conditions. He added that the new president must take the fight against corruption seriously. Soccer legend George Weir, who will be sworn in as president of Liberia on January 22nd this year, has pledged to promote pro-poor policies in order to lift millions of Liberians out of poverty. It is estimated that 85% of the country's population of 4.5 million people live below the poverty line. Meanwhile, Liberia's Unity Party has expelled the outgoing president, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, accusing her and four other members of sabotaging the presidential campaign of Vice President Joseph Bokai and lending their support to the opposition's candidate, George Ware. Anna Hoxter has more. A big fall for the mighty, what should have been her political swan song after 12 years as president of the West African country is ending on a sour note. She's one of the most celebrated African leaders in recent memory and the first female elected president twice. She couldn't run for a third term because of Liberia's constitution. Her bloc, the Governor Unity Party, accused her of meddling in the presidential elections by supporting the opposition's candidate, George Weir, who won by a landslide. Her party's candidate, Joseph Buarque, had been her vice president throughout her two terms in office. There were reports the two fell out during the campaigning as he tried to distance himself from her. Liberia's economy has quadrupled under Sirleaf's watch, but the country remains impoverished. Many have no access to reliable drinking water or electricity. Nicknamed Sleepy Joe for his tendency to fall asleep at public events, Burke has presented himself as the everyman born into an illiterate family compared to her roots as a moneyed elitist. The Harvard-educated and World Bank-trained civil servant 
first emerged politically in 1997 as she ran against the ruling warlord Charles Taylor. The people of Liberia have spoken. She got 10% to his 75. More than 200,000 people were killed. 70% of women were understood to have been raped. Thousands were maimed as former President Charles Taylor fought with his rivals. Taylor was out in 2003 and is now serving a 50-year prison sentence after being convicted of war crimes at The Hague. As head of the peacetime government, she was sworn in for her first term in 2006 and again in 2011. She was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 2011 as she campaigned for her re-election. I consider it a recognition of the many years of struggle. Sirleaf secured more than $4 billion in debt relief from the US, UN and philanthropists, but still over a million Liberians live in extreme poverty, according to the UN. Sirleaf also had to deal with the worst outbreak of the Ebola virus, which killed at least 5,000 people in Liberia alone. This epidemic is a challenge. Despite her critics, Sirleaf is praised by many for her peaceful transition of political power. She is due to hand over power to George Weir and his running mate, Jewel Howard Taylor, ex-wife of Charles Taylor, on January 22nd. Nigeria's leading prelate, Cardinal John Onaiken of Abuja, has told the Italian bishop's news agency that the great majority of Nigerians have lost confidence in the government of President Muhammadu Buhari, who assumed office in 2015. Nosipo Hadebe reports. Since 2013, 2.3 million people have fled their homes because of the activity of jihadist terrorist organization Boko Haram. The cardinal said that everyone is under attack, Christians and Muslims. He added that all the attacks on churches, mosques, armed robberies and kidnappings demonstrate that the government is not stable and cannot guarantee security. He noted that when, ch- that, he noted that when churches are attacked, It cannot be interpreted as an attack by Muslims against Christians, but rather as the work of fanatics and criminals. Meanwhile, Nigerian President Muhammadu Buhari has vowed to punish all those behind ethnic violence. At least 83 people have been killed since the start of the new year in violence between the mainly Christian farmers and the semi-nomadic herders, who are mostly Muslims from Buhari's Fulani ethnic group. The outbreak of violence has become increasingly political ahead of elections in February 2019. Nigeria, Africa's most populous country, is home to 250 ethnic groups. And finally, colleagues and relatives have unveiled other side of Pope Francis in new book. American journalist Deborah Castellano Lubov, who is based in Rome, has published the book. Once you read these uh, very in-depth accounts from every participant, you'll see who this person is. Who maybe why there not that there why there are these questions, but uh, his very original way of being Pope. Rather than having kind of an interpretation, to have something kind of unfiltered. I knew the voices who kind of knew him best, and I kind of wanted to take that together in a Q&A without any added perspective, just directly from the sources, and make that known to the people. At this time, the pontificate, there's been a lot of reactions, and it's a world where people are talking about defenders or um, enemies of the Pope. So to kind of bring that 
into context and ask the appropriate, appropriate questions to give a true view of who the Pope really is was not an easy task. Vatican Secretary of State Cardinal Pietro Padalin wrote the preface, and the book contains 14 interviews with personalities of the Roman Curia and of the Church spread throughout the five continents and relatives and friends of the Argentine pontiff. Reviewers say there is an interesting mix of original news, information, revelations, and sometimes even courageous, unfiltered opinions about the Holy Father and various timely questions raised by him. South Africa's Cardinal Wilfred Fox Napier is one of the people interviewed, and he discusses the post-synodal apostolic exhortation Amoris Laetitia and its effects on the credibility on the Church in Africa. And that was a look at some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. Thank you once again for joining me this Tuesday evening. I'm Sheila Pirsch and you're listening to Catholic View. Coming up next is our feature program and today we look at drugs in schools. Welcome back to our feature program. It's back to school again. Most learners will be heading back to the classroom tomorrow, January 17th. For some, it will be the first time. Amongst many concerns surrounding back-to-school shopping lists is the safety of our children. How do parents protect children from substance abuse? Or when do prescribed medication become substance abuse? Well, to answer this question and others, I spoke to Ethi Leroux, the CEO of Eden Recovery Center. Now, Ethi, as we all know, thousands of children are going back to school tomorrow, some for the very first time, be it primary school or high school. And, of course, there's lots of fear, and especially with the fact that, you know, sometimes as parents we don't get to place our children where we wish to see them going to. And at the same time, we have this fear that at certain schools they sell drugs just outside the fence or, you know, that some peers might be selling drugs. What are your words to parents who are so worried about this and many other things affecting their children going back to school tomorrow? Well, I think that they have every right to be fearful because um, addiction has become an absolute epidemic um, within our facility. About 90% of the people that land up, who are adults, who land up in the actual facility started taking drugs at a very young age. So drug taking um, and behavior changes happen when they are young. Um, and obviously it escalates as they get older. Reading some of the articles on your website, that is Eden Recovery Center, I came across uh, some paragraphs where they say that children as young as nine are able to sell drugs to their fellow colleagues at school. Now, how do you detect that your child is actually a drug supplier or a drug user? How do you detect that? Well, obviously, if they're supplying drugs, they're going to be having access to money that uh, you haven't given them. So um, so that's quite an easy one. And uh, the second thing is, obviously, you know, you know your child better than anyone. So any kind of deviation um, from the normal behavior, so what the normal range of behavior is for your particular child, you should be paying attention. So if you notice that um, the, the friends have changed, for example, um, or they withdraw from the family, um, or they're staying out later, 
you know, all those kinds of things of sneaking out, missing school, or, you know, you notice that their grades are going down, um, or, you know, in their behavior towards you, they're kind of guarded or deceptive in what they're saying to you. Um, you should be paying attention and, and being very concerned. And then what about in the cases of parents that have actually discovered that their children are doing drugs, and sometimes it can even be teenagers, you name it, the age varies. As parents, how should we react towards this? What are the right steps to take? It's a very complex thing. um, There's a, a physical element to addiction, and then there's a behavioral element. So from a physical perspective, you know, you'll notice you know, a lot of children have been put on Ritalin and all those kinds of things, which are actually are addictive drugs. So parents have to be very careful when a child is at a young age is to ensure that their nutrition and everything um, that they're giving them is, is conducive to great health. Because remember that we are what we eat. So when our brain is not functioning correctly, so if you have an ABD child, at the effect of that is probably what they're eating. So too much sugar, they're not eating enough vegetables, those kinds of things. So that's, that starts off at home and that should start off from the very beginning. Then if, you, if your child has now progressed and um, has started smoking marijuana, for example, or smoking nicotine or taking any other hard drugs, then, you know, urgent action is required because the longer you leave it, you know, it's a progressive disease. So when, once you've activated It'll just get worse and worse and worse. So sometimes when parents, uh, you know, they kind of ignore the symptoms because they think that, uh, you know, they're just suffering from youth and they're being difficult because they've been teenagers. Um, Before you know it, you have a full-blown addiction at your hands and you have a child that you can't actually deal with who's volatile, irritable, depressed, suicidal, although and incredibly um, anxious, aggressive, violent. And of course, going back to what you said um, with regards to what are some of the symptoms that one can see in order to tell whether the child is doing drugs or selling drugs. And one of the things you said was the money. You know, if your child has all of a sudden too much money that you're not giving your child, you should be worried. And then you also spoke about nutrition, the type of food that you give to your child. And that brings to mind that, you know, as parents, if you are able to wake up and prepare a decent lunch for your child instead of giving your child loads of money to go and spend at a tuck shop. I I think that's another way of of preventing a child from uh, going into this uh, path of buying drugs. Absolutely. And, you know, when we look at poorer communities where, um, you know, these children are volatile, you know, they're they're going into these areas. You have very, very clever drug dealers who then seduce the children into selling drugs on their behalf with money, sweets, you know, fancy clothes, shoes. So parents really need to take control of their up, the raising of their children and take the responsibility. And I know sometimes it's really hard because, you know, people have multiple jobs sometimes or they work really hard hours, long hours. Um, they have to catch transport and that kind of thing. But if, if your child's left alone, Make sure that the person who's responsible for them is a responsible person. So these, all those things can be taken into account because um, the rate that addiction is growing within this country, we're going to have a serious problem. We're going to have a whole generation of adults that are um, basically addicted to all kinds of different drugs. We see it every single day.
And of course, the drug addiction doesn't only end at the drugs that are sold at school, but there's also the drug abuse whereby, for example, if your child is on a serious medication such as Ritalin, how do you mm. control that that doesn't become a drug abuse but stays as something to help your child? I think what happens is that, you know, because we're living in a society where, where there's instant gratification and even from a parent's perspective or a teacher's perspective, if a child's slightly naughty or uh, too energetic or not concentrating, um, instead of looking at the diet first um, and changing those diets, we just prescribe tablets. So doctors are prescribing tablets. Um, and uh, the parent thinks that that's uh, actually sorting out the problem, but what it's doing is it's creating another problem. Um, so, our, you know, our recommendation is stay off psychiatric drugs, stay off those kinds of, um, start off the natural way, give your children lots of vegetables, stay away from sugar, stay away from preservatives um, and processed foods, and go back to basics. It's amazing how your children, the outcome of their behavior, their emotions, just physically, how well that they will do just by eating right. And that's the starting point. You know, we, we are too quick to just take a tablet and, and make sure that we think that it's going to sort the problem out. But now coming back to Eden Recovery Center, usually when people, you know, start such centers, it's because it's either they have gone through the experience of having a child or a close relative or friend that was so into drugs or that was destroyed by this type of substance abuse that they have came up with the idea of starting a center to help not only their loved ones but also to help others. Now, what was the reason behind you uh, starting Eden Recovery Center? Well, um, my husband's an alcoholic. He's obviously uh, in recovery, so he hasn't had anything to drink for many, many years. But it was 20 years of hell of uh, basically trying to get him off alcohol. He had been to various centers, um, and he was on lots and lots of psychiatric drugs. And it, he just went, became worse and worse and worse. So I took it upon myself to, to start studying and to try and find a solution, not only for him but also for family members because... It, it affected everybody, and um, addiction is a family disease because everybody gets involved and everybody gets hurt. There's nobody that comes out of addiction that is unscathed, um, and that's the reason why Eden was actually started. It's, I wanted a facility that that did intensive behavioral therapy, and I wanted to ensure that the families not only are just supported, but they are educated too, and they themselves get therapy that they need. And over and above that, looking at the physical aspect of addiction where by, you know, serotonin is depleted in the brain, ensuring that, you know, your serotonin is actually, uh, the most part of it is actually produced in your gut. And that's through food. So if you don't have serotonin, you're not going to have melatonin. And melatonin is what puts you to sleep. So most of um, our patients are anxious, um, agitated, can't sleep, depressed. Um, and if you, it's amazing, you know, with some amino acid therapy, how quickly that changes um, without the requirement of psychiatric drugs. Interesting to hear that. Now talk to us about Eden Recovery Center. What is it that you offer and how can people contact you? Well, I mean, they could go on through our website, which is um, www.edenrecovery.co.za 
or they can um, phone me directly, uh, which I can share with the radio station. Addiction has multiple dimensions, it's not just behavior. So it's like a computer, you know, if your hardware is broken, you can't fix the software. So if the brain neurotransmitters are not functioning correctly or your gut's so damaged that it can't actually uh, absorb any nutrients, you're not going to have neurotransmitters in the brain that are functioning at optimal level. So we start off with looking at the body from a holistic perspective. We repair the gut. We, we do nutritional therapy. We put all our patients on amino acid therapy. Then over and above that, then we start looking at behavior and, um, you know, triggers also teaching people what, what it does to the body and, and also un, um, identifying things like anger man- management, emotional attachments, um, all that kind of stuff so that when by the time they finish with the program, they've got the tools to go uh, forward. We also then, all our patients come to us for a year after that, once a week on a Wednesday evening for early recovery because it's absolutely essential. The hard work actually begins once you leave the addiction center because while you're in there, you're in a protective environment. Somebody's cooking for you, somebody's you know cleaning for you, so you know, you're not actually in a very stressful environment. Now you have to go back to school, or you have to go back to your job, or back to your wife and kids that you've left down, you know, let down. So we we deal with that ongoing for at least a year after that. And are there any successful stories that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, you know, I mean, the thing is with with addiction, the problem with addiction is that unless you've actually died um, and you're still clean, um, we don't know how successful we are and that's the truth is that um, we track our patients to date from the time that we opened our doors 73% of our patients are still um, clean Um, we've had a couple of deaths which is incredibly sad Um, and you know it's it's difficult to say there are so many stories and I think the best stories are is we always take photographs before and after of our patients when they come in and it's unbelievable where you see the difference, that their skin starts to glow, that they're happy, that they're smiling, you know, and that the families are happy and they're smiling. And sometimes families haven't had that for years um, because by the time they come into primary facility, you know, the worst has happened. You know, they've lost all their money, they've lost their homes, they've lost their jobs, you know, their wives, their kids. Um, so it's very satisfying to see somebody that continues to be clean and as I said, 73% of the patients that have come to are still clean um, going forward, hopefully. Well, Effie, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. We certainly learned a lot. Any last words before I let you go? I just think that uh, parents should, uh, if you love your children, you would spend copious amounts of time with them and feed them good food. And my thanks goes there to Effie Liru, CEO of Eden Recovery Center, talking to us about drugs or substance abuse in schools. And that's how we come to the end of today's broadcast. Should you wish to get in touch with me, feel free to send me an email, shayla at radioveritas.co.za. Thank you so much for listening. Remember that Catholic View is a program produced and presented by Shayla Pirsch for Radio Veritas. I'll be back again tomorrow at the same time. Until then, God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Shayla Pirsch. Radio